Here we're in a series uh, called Life Together. Uh, I took the title from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book uh, of the same title that's based on the one another commands uh, that we find in the Bible. Bonhoeffer uh, believes, and, and I think he's right, uh, that spiritual formation cannot, uh, it, it's, it's not just that it's, it's less ideal, it cannot happen uh, fully in isolation. Uh, we were made for community, and especially for Christian community. And so it's in Christian community that, that we look across the room and we see the Imago Dei, the image of God, in our brothers and sisters. Uh, it's in Christian community that we are um, conformed, uh, changed, shaped into the Imago Christi, the image of Christ. And we do all of this in Christian community for the Gloria Day, the glory of God as we uh, relate to one another as he intended us to do. Uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, looking at uh, one of the commands there. And as we, as we go through this passage, I'll have the verses up on the screens. Uh, you can follow along that way. A lot of people like to follow along in a paper Bible, and if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers are coming down the aisle just now, and uh, if you'll just signal them somehow, they'd be happy to, to put a Bible in your hands. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, I want to invite you to take this one uh, uh, home with you. We, we think everyone should have uh, a Bible that they can call their own. Uh, before we uh, open our Bibles together, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, uh, our hearts are heavy uh, this morning with, with the news from this last week. Uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to know even exactly how to pray. Uh, you know exactly what's going on. You know uh, what needs to be done. Ultimately, we know that the answer is Jesus. And so we pray that somehow in this, the name of Jesus uh, would be heard and, and known and uh, that, that people uh, on, on all sides of this would come to know Jesus. Uh, we know that there are believers, Palestinian believers, who are praying fervently for the, for the peace of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to, to be known in this area. Uh, Jewish Christians, some who are friends of, of our church and friends of various individuals in our church are, are praying that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, would bring peace to this situation in this area that has, has known such turmoil for so long. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Um, and as we seek to help those uh, on the ground in this situation, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to do that best uh, as well. So, uh, Lord, we pray for all of that. We pray now as we open your word uh, that you would speak to us. Uh, we believe that you speak uh, through your word, through the Bible, and we invite you to do that this morning. We invite you to uh, get through uh, 
whatever barriers we have erected and get down to our hearts where we can really be changed, really transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So uh, we pray that you would do that. Do that work that only you can do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It was just over 22 years ago, uh, 22 years and a month. uh, It was a Tuesday morning. I was driving my kids to school. Noticed that the traffic was strange uh, that morning for that time of day. Um, Turned on the the radio. I think we already had the radio on, but we we turned it to a news station uh, to see maybe there was a a wreck or something that that explained the traffic. And, of course, we heard uh, the unfolding story of, of one plane and then a second that had flown into the World Trade Center. And as the details continued to come in, the news just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, We learned of the Pentagon attack and then the the thwarted attack on the Capitol uh, that resulted in a crash in Pennsylvania. Um, The the terrorist attacks in Israel this past week, uh, I, I realized we're bringing back some of those same kinds of emotions in me of, of, of senseless killing uh, that, that goes on. Those emotions that I felt back in 2001. And, and it's especially hard. I didn't know any of the people uh, in the World Trade Center attack, uh, but I know people now in, in this situation. So my heart is heavy in a different way, I think, even than it was back in 2001. But one of the things I remember uh, probably most about that day was something that happened uh, later that night. Because that night we held a a special prayer service at the church uh, and the room was packed. Um, I I don't know what what this church was like uh, in in 2001 or what this community did, but it was unusually packed. If we regularly called for a, a prayer meeting, not very many people would come. But that night the room was packed. People who hadn't been in church in years came together to hear a word of hope from Scripture and to pray for those who had lost loved ones, to pray for our country, to pray for our world. And on that night, it it didn't seem to matter what color your skin was or what political party you belonged to or what denomination you belonged to. There was this solidarity and and unity with one another that that superseded all of those other things. And on that quiet night, we were were just part of a human family, a human family against whom a a horrific act of evil had been done. And together, we we were sad, we were in shock, we were afraid, and we, we wanted to be together. Do you remember that? Remember that? Uh, Church attendance after the attack hit record highs for a couple of weeks. (laughs) And then it slowly got back to the way things were before. Uh, Just two days later, planes began to fly again, and it didn't take long for us to abandon the unity that we felt uh, on, on the 11th. 
And we began to squabble again over things that, that didn't matter that much on the 11th. We, we, we slid back into being Democrats and Republicans and white and brown and, I don't know, Baptists and Catholics or something, whatever. Uh, this morning we're going to look at a command um, uh, in Ephesians 4 uh, that says we are to forbear with one another. Uh, but as it turns out, those words in Ephesians 4 are pointing to something bigger. As it turns out, they're pointing the way to unity. Uh, it's not the same unity we felt on 9-11. Uh, it's, a, it's a unity that's infinitely deeper and eternally more significant than what we felt on that night. So we're going to look together at Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. Open your Bibles there if you haven't already. Paul says, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patiently forbearing with one another in love. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Uh, Paul starts chapter 4 with the word therefore. And as I've said so many times, when we come across the word therefore, we need to ask ourselves, what is the therefore? Therefore, right? It's, it's, it's a connecting word. It brings together what has been said before with what is about to be said. Um, it's, it's good to understand as we look at this chapter that the book of Ephesians is, is easily broken into two uh, larger uh, sections, two halves. And the first half talks about what Christ has done or accomplished for us, talks about our identity in him, who we are in Christ. And the second half of the book of Ephesians uh, gives us instructions for how we are supposed to live in light of who we are, okay? So chapter 4 begins that second half. And after reminding the Ephesian Christians who they are in Christ, Paul says, therefore, or because of this, here's what you need to do. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul begins the second half of his letter with a reminder of how serious all of this is. Paul's in chains for the gospel as he writes this. He's a prisoner for the Lord, right? And then he urges us to walk uh, a certain way, to live a certain way. Uh, other translations uh, use the word, uh, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you, or I plead with you, or I implore you. It's, it's, a, it's a strong word. The point is, as Paul sits in prison, he's pleading with the Ephesians to do something. What is that? He says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy of the calling. 
Now, if we're not careful, we, we could be thrown off by that word walk worthy. We might be in danger of thinking or hearing Paul say that we can be worthy of uh, or earn maybe our adoption into God's family. That's not what Paul says here. And he makes it very clear in other places. Uh, the, the Greek word that we have under uh, the word worthy is axios. And, and the root of that word refers to a scale, a balance scale, uh, where something is proven to weigh what it claims to weigh. Okay? So after three chapters of talking about what Christ has done to bring us into God's family, Paul says, make sure your life is an accurate representation of that family you were called into. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, make sure that your life adds up to, weighs up to who Christ is. Because we carry the name of Christ with us. Therefore, we should behave in a way that looks like Christ, that looks like Jesus. Uh, there's a story I've, I've told before about Alexander the Great that I think helps uh, to illustrate this. Alexander the Great, of course, was a military genius. He, he conquered most of the known world at the time that he lived. And the story is told that, that one day he was walking through his military encampment and he came across a sleeping soldier who was supposed to be on guard at the time. And, and sleeping on duty, of course, was an infraction that was punishable by death. It was a very, very serious thing. And, of course, Alexander was furious with this soldier. And he, he kicked the soldier, he, he woke him up, and he demanded to know his name. And the, and the soldier, sort of trembling and, and muttering, said that his name was also Alexander. And Alexander repeated the question again, What is your name? And again, the young soldier said, Alexander, this time a little louder. And a third time, Alexander the Great said, Soldier, what is your name? And of course, the, the, the young soldier stood at attention and he said, My name is Alexander, sir. Right? Thinking that maybe saying it louder and with more respect would, would take care of the problem. As the story goes, Alexander the Great pointed his finger into the chest of the young soldier and said, Young man, either change your name or change your conduct. He wasn't worthy to carry that name Alexander, in the opinion of Alexander the Great, anyway. And Paul here is saying that we are to live in a way that is consistent, that is on balance with who we have been called to be, the church, the bride of Christ, the body. And when he says that, he understands probably way better than we do that he's talking about this really unlikely gathering of diverse people who have very little in common with one another. They have different ethnic backgrounds, different political beliefs, uh, different religious backgrounds and beliefs. They have every reason in the world to dislike each other, maybe even hate each other. Every reason except for one. 
And as we read on, uh, I think you'll see what it is. Uh, As I was watching the news and preparing my sermon this week, I was thinking that a perfect example of this might be the Palestinian Christians and the Jewish Christians. Um, Really important, by the way, for us to understand that Hamas does not equal Palestinian. Um, We can be... um, We can hate the evil that we see happening by a terrorist group and not lump everybody who is of that ethnic group into that. Okay, so be careful about that. Um, But Paul's words here in Ephesians 4, I think, could apply to these two very different groups of Christians uh, there in the Middle East. I I was wondering if maybe that could even help us de-escalate some, uh, the importance of, of whatever issues we might have with one another Um, because it's really intense over there right so what does it look like to walk worthy of our calling Uh, verse 2 begins uh, to describe that Uh, Paul says with all humility and gentleness patiently forbearing with one another in love make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace We've, we've talked uh, a couple of times already in this series about humbly uh, serving one another. Um, and here, Paul couples that humility uh, with gentleness. Now, in our culture, gentleness isn't something we tend to put a lot of value on. Uh, we value strength, right? Um, too often, we see gentleness as weakness, and it's, it's not that. It's not what the word means. Gentleness actually means great strength under control. Great strength under control. Um, uh, Becky and I like to go to the state fair, and one of the things we like to do at the state fair is see the horses there. Um, we're not horse people. Uh, we're, we're both a little afraid of horses. We don't ride. We don't spend a lot of time uh, around horses. Don't know how to handle them, right? But we like to see the horses. Um, we're fascinated by those who, who know how to handle horses. Uh, the biggest of the horses there at the fair are the draft horses. Some of them are over seven feet tall at the, at the shoulders, right? Uh, and, and weigh over 3,000 pounds. Um, if one of those horses wanted to do damage, um, wanted to just kick things apart, there's really, a, a, I mean, aside from a tranquilizer or something more fatal, there's very little anyone could do to stop it just because of their size, right? But the amazing thing about these huge animals is that the, the gentleness that they and their trainers have achieved. Strength under control. That's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about being gentle. We are to be humble and gentle with one another. And then Paul moves to another pairing of character traits. He says patience and forbearance. Patience here is long-suffering. It literally means long passion. Uh, The person 
who is patient takes a long time to get angry. Uh, the antithesis of this would, would be the quick-tempered person. Uh, we live, as you know, in an age of instant gratification, which is really so antithetical to the, to the way of Christ. It's, it's focused on my desires, my needs, my wants, my rights, and I want those things, and I want them now, right? Some of us really, really struggle with this, and, and we don't even realize that it's a problem. Some of us struggle, recognize it's a, an issue, but we sort of... Um, reduce it to this sort of incidental character flaw, maybe, that God isn't really very concerned about. But according to what Paul says here, it's a big deal. It's one of the ways that we walk worthy of our calling. And, and paired to, for, to uh, patience is forbearance. And this is where the one another language comes into this passage. Forbearance is kind of a hard word to translate, uh, in English, you could say "put up with," and it, and it wouldn't be wrong, but it sort of carries with it uh, a, a condescending or disdaining uh, tone. And forbearance doesn't really have that. Uh, you could say tolerance. Forbearance is is tolerance, um, but that tends to carry with it um, sort of compromise a lot of times, right? And and that's not what forbearance is. Uh, literally, forbearance means to hold up or, or endure. Um, and, and while our English Bibles have inserted the word with in this, forbear with one another, it's not in the Greek. Literally, uh, the Greek says, forbear one another. Uh, this is forbearing a person. Um, and we all have these people, don't we? We all do. We all have people in our lives that are difficult to love. And forbearance calls us to love or endure that difficult person because God's still working in them. Some of you are old enough to remember the, the little button, little pin that said P-B-P-G-N-F-W-M-Y. Anyone remember that? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Right? Forbearance is something God has shown to us. Uh, we, we get glimpses of forbearance in Jesus with his disciples. He says, have you been with me so long and still you don't see? Uh, or another place. I love this one. Are you still so dull? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we are called to forbear one another because this is how God has been with us. And, and our forbearance has a qualifier attached. I've alluded to it already. We are to forbear in love. And the word here is agape, a familiar word to us. Um, it's the word that, we, uh, that was used when we looked at the command to love one another. Uh, agape doesn't exist for anyone's enjoyment uh, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's an act of the will, uh, and it exists only in relation to people. You can't agape a car or a boat, okay? It's, it's only ever used in relation to people. And this is what sets forbearance apart from merely tolerating or, or putting up with someone. It's driven by love, it's driven by agape. 
Now, all of this is moving somewhere. This is, this is just setting the stage. There's a reason that we're supposed to be humble and gentle and patient and forbearing in love. These things are linked to something that Paul thinks is, is vital to the end game here, the goal, right? Verse 3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Some of your translations might say diligently strive to maintain unity. Uh, some of them might say eagerly maintain unity. Uh, the Greek literally is swiftly and urgently maintain unity. Uh, the, the, the rhythm of, of Paul's language here is ramping up. It's, it's accelerating. It's moving. Uh, it's anxious to get to its goal, uh, to get to unity. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance are, are all important, but they're not the end goal. They're the pathway to unity. So what is this unity? A couple of things we need to note about it. First of all, unity is not uniformity. You've heard me say that before. We, uh, we looked uh, pretty closely at unity when we were in uh, the Conversations with Jesus series in John 17 when Jesus was praying there for our unity. Uh, unity is not uniformity. In fact, it's, it's the diversity uh, that, that makes unity stand out. I was thinking um, our diversity is, is sort of the, um, the gold setting that the gem of unity is set in. It's, it's, it's what makes it pop. It's what makes it stand out. Paul's not calling for us all to think the same. He's calling for unity. Um, some of you have traveled abroad. Uh, Natasha, you've probably experienced this. Uh, my first trip to Kazakhstan was really eye-opening for me. That was my first trip uh, overseas. Uh, we were with a group of people that for the most part couldn't communicate uh, with one another without the aid of a translator. Uh, and when we could communicate, we discovered that we came from very very different uh, backgrounds, very different political beliefs. I remember really wrestling with a Christian brother who didn't think that the U.S. was the greatest country in the world. Really? Or that our military was the best military in the world. Nope, they didn't believe that, right? What am I going to do, right? Uh, was that going to be a, a deal breaker for me? Uh, we were ethnically different. We had different religious beliefs. Some that we worked with were extreme Pentecostals way over here. Some were Russian Orthodox. It's hard to imagine further apart in those religious beliefs. Maybe it exists, but it, it was very striking to me. I'll tell you what, when we gathered together around the person of Jesus, we shared something in common that was beyond words. And I, the only words I have for it really are unity of the Spirit. Didn't speak the same language, weren't from the same political background, religious background, ethnic background, nothing. But we experienced the unity of the Spirit. So again, unity is not uniformity. Another thing that I think is important to see is that Paul tells us to maintain 
this unity. This unity is not something we create. We maintain it, but we didn't create it. Uh, We are never, ever, ever going to find the unity of the Spirit if we're looking to politics or race or social activism or religion even to find it. We might find various points of solidarity with, with one another in some of those things, but that's not unity of the Spirit. So to remove any confusion about what he's talking about, Paul quotes from a unity creed. Theologians call uh, verses 4 through 6 here the unity creed. Uh, They think it was probably circulated around uh, the early churches. And Paul says this is where our true unity is found. Uh, Let's look at it, beginning at verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. For me, Paul's uh, unity creed here has a familiar ring to it. Uh, on occasion, I've, I've talked about the Shema. Um, uh, in Hebrew, it sounds like this, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Okay? In English, you know it as Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, Yahweh, is one. Um, In a a culture where all the other nations had many, many gods, they they had a God for everything, Israel had one God, one God who was over all the other gods. This was essential for uh, the Jewish people to understand. This was the essential thing they needed to know, that they had one God. It was so central to the Jewish faith that it was recited at every public worship gathering. Uh, It was recited daily in every home. Uh, The verses just before the Shema say that recognizing this truth and living by it will lead to a long and prosperous life. Um. One Jewish actor uh, drew on his childhood experience of, of going to temple uh, as he was developing his character for, the, for a television show. And what he remembered is that the rabbi would make the sign of the Hebrew letter Shin. What does that look like? It looks like this. It looks a little like our W. The rabbi would make that sign as he said, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. You recognize it, don't you? Right? What was the greeting that that actor attached to that? Live long and prosper. Well, that's just weird, right? Deuteronomy 6.2, just two verses before the Shema. Fear the Lord your God all the days of your life. Keep all his statutes and commands so that you may have a long life and so you may prosper. As Spock would say, fascinating, right? (laughs) Sorry for that rabbit trail. The Shema is central to the identity of this people, Israelite people who were called out of the polytheism that surrounded them. It helped them to know and remember that they worshiped the one true God. And this unity creed in Ephesians 4 should be central to our identity 
as a people who belong to one body, the body of Christ. Christ is not divided. There aren't multiple bodies of Christ. And that one body, the church, big C church, was born at Pentecost by one spirit who lives in each one of us. And as believers, we are called to one hope in God's future plan for all of creation, which is the new heaven and new earth. I love how Scott McKnight says it. He says, God's goal has always been his kingdom, a kingdom that is ruled by a king who redeems people so that they can enjoy God's gracious, peaceful, and just rule in God's new creation where they will know God, worship God, love God, and do God's good will through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's where all of this is moving. And that the king of that kingdom is Jesus, our one Lord. He is the one to whom we swear allegiance. He is the one through whom God's plan is accomplished. He is the one who Paul says in Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, is seated at the right hand of God far above every other ruler and authority, every power and dominion, not only of this age, but in the age to come. He is ultimate, right? And it's in Christ, our one Lord, that we profess one faith. We don't profess faith in Christ plus anything. It's not Christ plus works. It's not Christ plus belonging to the right ethnic group, which was a huge issue in the early church. It's not Christ plus belonging to the right political party. It's Christ plus nothing. Only one Lord and one faith. We profess faith in Christ alone. And we are baptized into Christ through one baptism. This isn't talking about sprinkling versus immersion. Water baptism is merely a picture of our baptism into Christ. So whatever Christian tradition you come from and however you received water baptism, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been spiritually baptized into Christ. Now there there are reasons that here at Grace we hold to believers baptism by immersion. And I think Paul held those beliefs as well. But that's not what he's talking about here. We've been baptized into Christ. And this uh, unity creed climaxes with one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all. And I think this is Paul hearkening back to the Shema. Here, O church, in this case, our God is the one true God who is above every other God. Friends, this is the unity of the Spirit that we're called to. Unity that surpasses all of our differences. When we went through the book of Acts a couple of years ago now, we saw the incredible diversity of the church as it grew. And we we saw that uh, different ethnicities, different cultures, economic classes, different languages, and, and, and those were huge challenges for the early church to navigate. But there was also something incredibly beautiful as that diverse group of people began to order themselves as one body called to one hope under one spirit, one Lord, and one heavenly Father. And this unity creed that we've looked at this morning was passed around from church to church to remind them all that their unity was never going to be found in the non-essential issues of their various backgrounds. 
backgrounds that told them to treat something as essential that, that God didn't really think was. And Paul believes so strongly in this that he saved some of his strongest language against sin for those who would work against this unity, those who would cause division in the church, those who would elevate non-essentials to the place of essentials. So how do we tie all of this together? What's our takeaway this morning? Paul begins uh, chapter 4 by pleading with us to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And And he ends this loaded paragraph by reminding us of the unity that we are called to, the unity that Jesus himself prays for when he prays for us. Again, what is that unity? How do we get there? By being humble, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but placing ourselves willingly below others, by being gentle, displaying strength under control. Kindness comes to mind here. There's, it costs so little to be kind. And yet there's so little of it these days. Um, We get there by being patient and forbearing one another in love. Understanding that God isn't finished with me yet. So he's probably not finished with you yet. And maybe understanding that he's not finished with me will help me understand that he's not finished with you. And I can forbear with you. And somehow when we do this, God changes us. This this humble, gentle, patient, forbearing in love and maintaining unity is doing something in us. So the unity isn't even the ultimate goal, as it turns out. We read uh, just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 13. Paul tells us that this is so that we will all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, mature people, attaining to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal right there. Attaining to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So walk worthy of your calling. Be humble and gentle and patient and forbearing, doing everything you can to maintain the unity of the Spirit until the day comes when God makes all things new and we finally become the people that he intends us to be. People who look like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it's an amazing thing to be called by the one true God into existence as a people of God, the church of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us. Help us to walk worthy of that calling. To look like the people that you want us to be. Help us to maintain that unity. To do everything we can to foster it. We pray, Lord, that, uh, well, you have made us one. And we pray that you would help us to live like we truly are.
And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.